Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program is Antonia Malchik. will join us to discuss a walking life. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. show well our health and our freedom are taking a hit in today's sedentary lifestyle how can we go about reclaiming our freedom and our health well joining us today to discuss this issue is miss antonia malchik Ms. malchik has written essays and articles that have appeared in the atlantic the washington post and the boston globe among others she has written the new book a walking life reclaiming our health and our freedom one step at a time Ms. malchik very pleased to have you today on the grox science show thank you so much for having me certainly our pleasure. I think it's certainly a timely book for everybody today. Uh, I'm curious why you decided to write the book. Um, I got interested in walking for actually from a couple of different angles. Um, At the time that I first started researching it, I was living in slightly upstate New York. For people who live upstate, it wasn't upstate. For people in New York City, it was upstate. So I don't, I'm from Montana, so I don't know quite where that, where that line lies. And it was a very rural area. And there was a big snowstorm. I had a, a baby and I was pregnant with my second kid and um, I got snowed in and the power was going out. And I realized that I was completely trapped because I could not drive anywhere and I had to drive places in order to get anywhere. Um, and it really started me thinking about how American society is structured physically um, and how much freedom we lose by being entirely dependent on cars, which we are in a lot of places And the other angle was uh, my kids were both in early intervention, which is usually a state-run program that gives maybe speech therapy or physical therapy, occupational therapy. Uh, My son was premature, so they just needed a little help. And the physical therapist would talk a lot about the importance of our front yard, which was basically just a field. And how important it was for them to be able to walk on those uneven surfaces and how that related to their brain development and how hard it was for kids who never left their apartments to walk in uneven terrain. And so I got really fascinated with the science behind walking and how we evolved to walk and how complicated it is because it is a really, really complicated thing to do. And the fact that we do it is kind of amazing. Something that makes us sort of uniquely human in a way. I mean, how much of it really is tied to other aspects of our development and really what makes us as human? It, it, it is. As I'm sure you know, there's a lot of uh, different definitions of what makes us human. Um, the bipedal walking is very much from a paleoanthropological perspective. Um, we're the only mammals that do that, that walk on two legs. And so that sort of sets us apart from um, other apes and mammals. Um but it does. I was really surprised to find out when I started researching really how much of a role it plays in infant brain development. Um, you know, kids who walk later or who don't learn to walk well can uh, have some have more trouble learning to read and do math later in life. And it 
seems to be, this isn't definitive, but it does seem to be that there is a huge amount going on in our brains and growing in our brains when we're learning to move through the three-dimensional world, you know, move your bodies through space, sort of judging how far things away, how far away things are. Um, when kids learn to, you know, walk rather than crawl, they have to relearn what a slope means, like how to slow down when you come to a hill. Um, and so that all feeds into how our brains develop. Um, and I think it's a, it's a pretty, I wouldn't say it's a new area of research, but it's relatively in its infancy, <laughs> not to make a pun, but there isn't a huge amount of research yet. And it seems to be an area of a lot of growth uh, for researchers to look into. Our health or well-being is tied in a way to walking. And what has suffered in our society and our health from not really being able to get out and walk as much? Oh, a whole bunch. <laughs> you can go on a lot of different levels. Our individual health, for one, there's a lot of research on um, elderly people, actually, with Alzheimer's and dementia risk. If you walk, uh, what is it, 30 minutes, five days a week or something like that, your risk of dementia and Alzheimer's is much lower. And it's amazing how few people actually have the ability, and I don't mean physical ability, I mean accessibility to do that. Like you don't have a place to walk 30 minutes a day. Um so there's that health. It has a big impact on cardiovascular health, on, on your heart. Um, and then it has uh, a lot of effects on mental health. There's been quite a bit of research out of Europe on depression, anxiety, and um, other more serious mental illnesses and people who have access to walking, but in particular walkable green spaces, um, actually are able to deal with those conditions uh, a lot more easily than people who do not walk and who especially don't have access to green spaces. Uh, and then on a societal level, um, the disconnection that we cultivate when we live in car-centric suburban areas or exurban areas, um, it does seem to feed into a lot of our wider social disconnections and social tensions. Um, obviously, that's not a, you know, really rigorous scientific study, but uh, there has been a lot of research on things like loneliness and disconnection and how people perceive uh, people who they feel are different from themselves, um, depending on how isolated they are. And so a walkable community tends to have much more connected people, a lot more neighborliness. And that doesn't mean that everyone thinks alike, but it does mean that there's a lot more flexibility probably in the way that we think about one another and ourselves and, and the potential for what our society can do and should do. So there's a lot of levels that walking affects us. Many of the cities that build around the car, how does reorganize our lives or our cities in terms of making it more walker friendly? Well, aside from wave, waving a magic wand, <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. America, North America in general, is very much structured around the car. And there was a lot of investment in highway building in the mid-1900s. Um, so we have uh, what's called legacy infrastructure. So we just have a lot of cities and towns that are built around the highway and around the car and around parking. Um, but there are an amazing number of communities that are taking this on. And, um, you know, European cities are wonderfully walkable and it's, it's wonderful to look at them and think of that as a model, but because they were initially the older parts of the cities were really built around walking. It's, it's not always as viable for American cities to, 
uh, model themselves after that because um, we just don't have that legacy infrastructure of walkable um, city centers. Uh, but places like Denver are working really hard to make um, connectivity through through walking, um, investing in a lot more sidewalks and public transportation, which really has to be part of that answer. If you want people to be able to get to their jobs without driving, they have to have um, either subway line, which is very expensive to build, or something like bus rapid transit, which is much more viable in American communities because of how our roads are built. Um, Oakland is doing a fair amount of actually quite a lot of work in this area and trying to link transit with affordable housing as well. So you get walkability, transit and affordable housing and that builds a lot more equity and access. Um, Seattle and then if people go to the website americawalks.org there um, you can get a link to just state by state the um, organizations that advocate for walkability and it's amazing how pervasive this is throughout the country it's kind of quiet it's not a loud movement but it is um, full of really passionate and dedicated people Um, the Twin Cities is a big place for this actually they've been doing light rail and a lot of walkability initiatives um, pedestrian rights initiatives which is also a big part of it so it, it takes a lot of investment in things like sidewalk, sidewalks and um, public transportation where it's suitable. And it is possible. It just takes a lot of political will. Along those lines, I mean, is this a uniquely U.S. issue? I mean, people more prone to just go out for a walk in other countries? <laughs> um, it kind of depends on where you are. Canada is, you know, the, Canada was developed around the same time period. So it has a lot of the same issues, although places like Toronto and Vancouver have been very forward thinking. In this area, um, like I said, European cities tend to be very walkable. Uh, I lived in Russia for a while, um, since that's where my dad's from, and Moscow and St. Petersburg are hugely walkable cities. But in my research, you know, there's places like Abu Dhabi, which is really built around the car and has these super blocks, and even some European cities like Barcelona. is is kind of bent a little bit more towards the car. So I wouldn't say it's uniquely American. It it does kind of depending on where you are, um, you have a different perspective on it. Like I see it as very much a we've lost the freedom to walk. Whereas if you go to um, countries that don't have as much privilege and as much money, walking is the only form of transportation. So it, it's not seen as like something that gives you freedom. It's just seen as that's all, all that you've got and a car would probably be nice or a bicycle. Um, so it just depends on how you do the development about that. But it, it's it's definitely not uniquely American. South America, Central America, everywhere has um, a lot of the same a lot of the same issues. Was there anything particularly surprising about walking when you were researching it? There were a lot of surprising things. I I was I wouldn't say I was surprised, but I was fascinated with how complicated it is. And the deeper I went into looking at evolution and, you know, six million years of evolving bipedal hominins um, was just amazing that the research that people do in that area. Um, I, I was continually surprised by the lack of access to walking, especially when it comes to disability. If you use a wheelchair to get around, um, which a couple of people in my family do, uh, you are really limited. And that surprised me. Um, and it also surprised me. The complexity came home to me when you, go, you dig into research on walking robots. 
I don't know if you've seen some of those like little YouTube videos from the University of Michigan and places when they have they're developing robots that can walk on their own. The complexity of it really comes through when you see how hard it is to do that. Um, you know, Boston Dynamics will put out their little videos of the robot walking and opening a door and what goes into that is just incredible and they don't have a lot of range of movement. It has to be very defined and very controlled. And so uh, it, it it's, I don't know, it's just kind of an interesting walking area of the research, wonky, wonky, not walking <laughs> area of the research um, that walking robots are so difficult to develop because walking, human bipedal walking is so complex. You talk a little bit in your book about a little bit about disability and how that might be impacted by technology. Yeah, I, I got really interested in it um, because it's actually I had read a lot of books on walking as I was starting the research. And because it's on my mind, because there's a couple of people in my family that do have disabilities. I thought, Gosh, that's strange. They just I only found one that even mentioned disability. And um, all of them do kind of make the claim in different ways that walking makes us human. Um, it tends to be very, a, a very literary approach, you know, like all these poets and philosophers who walked for miles and got great ideas. Um, and I thought, gosh, if you're going to say that walking makes us human, you really need to deal with the what if you cannot walk on two feet. Um, obviously, that does not make you not human. That would be ridiculous. So I didn't want to pass over that. I really wanted to dive into it. And when I dove into it, what I really came up, I wouldn't say came up against, but what was looking at was the intersection of humans and technology. Um, and, and that was just a fascinating area. It's like we've been using prosthetics for at least a thousand years, maybe longer. Um, the, the finds aren't, aren't much older than that, but there's probably others out there. Uh, and, you know, at what point do we say we stop becoming human? Is it when we put a chip in our heads or interface with a computer? And so it kind of led me down that road of, well, what are all the different ways of being a human being moving through the world? Um, and I think that's what walking is really about. And I think it does lead us into our relationship with technology and whether it can help us be better humans or whether we serve it, which is something that all of our societies worldwide are grappling with right now, you know, with, with data gathering, for example. Um, so it's, you know, you go from disability to data gathering, it seems like a stretch, but once you start looking into it, because a lot of the prosthetics are, are neural linked um, and, and you kind of look at, well, does this prosthetic serve the person or is it just kind of cool technology? And it turns out that the most advanced ones don't always serve people. Sometimes they need something a lot less um, digital, for example, um, like farmers, you know, dealing with a lot of moisture and, and heavy equipment and things. Um, so you really have to step back and say, oh, is our technology serving us or are we just around for people to try technology out on and see what they can do with it? We have a lot of interesting stories, a lot of different different issues about walking. I'm curious, out of all this, what, what do you hope readers will take from your book? Well, obviously, I hope they'll walk more <laughs> and incorporate walking into their lives more. Um, I, I just, it, the changes it's given me once I started really intentionally doing it, you know, I worked, moved into a walkable community and I walk or bike my kids to school every day and make that a big part of their life. And the changes it's brought for us have been really huge and sometimes subtle, um, but, but mental health, um, I deal with the chronic pain issue in my back. 
Um, it's helped a lot with that. Um, and so I really, you know, I would love people to incorporate walking into their lives and to feel what that gives them. And as part of that, we end up looking at where is it that you can't walk or where do communities not have access to walking? Um, and I know you had a guest on recently who spoke about air pollution, um, you know, and that's a big part of it. If we can drive our cars less, then that has other effects as well as far as climate change and what we breathe. Um, and so making walkable communities, if we start walking ourselves and then help our communities and wider society become more walkable, then I think the knock-on effects can be exponential. And I think it could change all of our lives in ways that we can't predict right now. I mean, I do hope people read it. I tried to do something different from other walking books. I really wanted to take off from where a lot of walking books had ended and, and think about how we got here and where we're going to go in the future and how we can do it together. So there's a lot about connection and community in there. And I, I think that's something that I hope we will all intentionally work into our lives going forward. We were just talking with Ms. Antonia Malchik, her new book, A Walking Life, Reclaiming Our Health and Our Freedom One Step at a Time. And Ms. Malchik, very pleased to have you today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.